Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to all you listeners to The Bookcase. We are delighted to have you back with us. I'm Charlie Gibson. I am Kate Gibson, and today a writer that you've seen in airport bookstores, bookstores, independent bookstores, everywhere that you look, Patricia Cornwell, who's written how many Case Carpetta books at this point? 27. That's a few. 27 books. Yeah. (laughs) She's extraordinarily prolific, and Case Carpetta is everywhere, as you say, in airport bookshops, regular bookshops, anywhere you can look, you'll find her. And Case Carpet is interesting because she's not just a regular detective. She is, uh, well, she's basically what? She's a medical examiner. Yes. So she's an ME, which normally you think of MEs as like, you know, if you're watching a crime show, the cop or the lawyer or the whatever always stops by the ME and they go, oh, there's a sign of the this and I pulled out of this bullet and a whatever. But they're always a stop on the way to solving the mystery. Case Carpetta is the whole stop for these books. And it works, I think. It does indeed. And there is a lot of technology that uh, Patricia Cornwell uses in the books. And it's interesting as we talk to her, that she talks about that research, the research into the technology that takes her much more of her time than does plot. Yeah, I think in some ways she's similar to my husband. She's a tech nerd. So I think if somebody goes, look, this stick does this, all you have to do is point it there and then it does this thing. She goes, that's so cool. I got to work this into one of my books. Yeah. So I think, you know, if there's a new toy and she has the clearance to write about it. She does. And as you'll hear, she still gets a bit squeamish when she sees an autopsy. And she has seen a lot of them because she worked in a medical examiner's office for many years. And medical examiners are now somewhat popular given all of the television series that revolve around medical examiners. Yeah. I mean, I, I doubt that, you know, I love watching CSI and going, my God, that is the prettiest ME lab I have ever seen. <laughs> Neon blue and yellow and everything is so. But yes, yes, they have become very big. But Kay Scarpetta is what I love about Patricia Cornwell. She's written 27 books, same character, but she has the talent to back it up. She writes very, very well. She does. She's written more than 27 books because she's written some nonfiction and she's (laughs) written fiction in other series. I don't see how she has time to have breakfast because uh, uh, she's turning out so many books. But Kay Scarpetta has been the character that has really resonated with readers. And as a result, as you say, her books are everywhere. They're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And although you can't see it, she talked to us from her office. And by gosh, if in the background to the right, there wasn't a full-size skeleton in a medical coat with Christmas lights wrapped around his neck. I thought that was a great office accoutrement for Patricia Cornwell. But also there was behind her a full mock-up of the book. Yes. Uh, Unnatural Death is the name of the new Cakes <laughs> Carpetta book. It is just out. Unnatural Death, which we were kind enough to mention about six minutes into this podcast. <laughs> anyway, here's our conversation with Patricia Cornwell, so well known as a wonderful writer. Patricia Cornwell, it is a delight to have you in the bookcase. It's wonderful to be here. Well, how old is Kay Scarpetta now? 
Well, that's like the biggest secret that I keep. Um, and, it, and it's also, it's my biggest lie that I tell because I used to advance her age along with mine. And then I said, holy smoke, you better stop that now or she's going to have to retire a long time ago. So she's kind of hanging somewhere around 60-ish. And I just leave it there. But she can be pretty much any age you want her to be. Do you work for her or does she work for you? Oh, I think without a doubt, I work for her because, you know, I'm always showing up in the room, but that doesn't mean she's going to. You know, I come down here faithfully to my office where you're looking right now, and maybe she'll be there. Maybe she won't. In fact, when people call me and they start talking too long, I say, if we don't get off the phone now, she's going to leave the office, and I don't know if I can get her back. (laughs) (laughs) I have all sorts of questions about what it's like being a series officer, the new one, A Natural Death has like a series of mysteries laid up on top of one another. So I guess my first question for you is, do you feel like you have to challenge your readers with every new book and sort of step up that obfuscation and make it that much harder for your readers to figure out the gotcha? No, I think the biggest thing is the big challenge for me with each new book is what can I do that's going to fill the reader full of wonder? And also keep the reader entertained because, you know, in the early days, each of the chapters in my books would be 20 pages long. Now, even though the books are the same length, chapters are 10 pages long, and I'll divide that in the middle, give people a little break to get up, you know, and take a moment. Because we live in a world where people have very short attention spans. So I try to take all that into account. But first and foremost, if something doesn't fill me full of wonder, then it's not going to fill you full of wonder. So I'm the first test for this. What grabs my attention? And with Unnatural Death, of course, there's a lot of things in it, including some technologies that have captured my attention. But everything that I have in there is well within the realm of possibility. And all of this is based in realistically what can be done with all kinds of technologies these days. In fact, some of what's being done is even beyond It's beyond what you can even comprehend is crazy. Everything is about electromagnetic energy. And so, for example, what the military and law enforcement are using to propel drones is using signal jammers. And these things look like rifles, little snub-nosed, you know, like assault-type rifle thing. It's nasty looking, but it's a signal jammer. And when something loses signal, then it can't do anything. So if a drone loses signal, it's going to drop out of the sky. AI plays a role in this book. And you mentioned some of your concerns with technology. I was wondering if you use these books sometimes to work out things that you see on the horizon where you go, ooh, that's kind of scary. Well, listen, everything new that's on the horizon has its upside and its downside. You know, my mother used to say when I was growing up, everything can be used for good or evil. And it really is true. And so the better these technologies get, the scarier they are in terms of the damage they can do, not the least of which is to alter our perception of reality to a point where we don't know what's real anymore. Like the whole metaverse thing where you're looking through certain types of computer accessorized glasses that will actually put animated characters on the landscape of what you're looking at or holograms. And, you know, we don't even know what all we're going to be seeing. That is, you're not going to know, is that an extraterrestrial sitting next to you or (laughs) a projection from a hologram or, or who am I for that matter? And when I have the scene in the uninhabited forest where there's these strange sounds coming, that could be Bigfoot making these sounds. He knows to make those kinds of sounds, but it could also be some type of technology because there are ways that you can use vibrations to make the sky overhead. You turn it into a speaker and you could literally sound like a jet's going right over your head and there's nothing there. 
NASA's fooling around with that stuff. The military is. That's what's scary to me, what's real and what's not real. Mm. But how, if you leave her ageless, how do you evolve, Kay? And do you have to? Or can you leave her relatively static? And secondly, how do you keep up with the changes in her milieu and her profession that does modernize her in what she does for a living? Well, you know, the thing with Scarpetta's world is the actual, the autopsy part of what she does. I mean, they haven't, autopsies haven't changed all that much since Da Vinci was doing his anatomical studies. And there are some differences and, you know, that especially with the fear of biohazards and the types of diseases and radiation and all sorts of things that we have to worry about. So for example, it's not in this book, but in the one I'm working on now, I have a situation where there's such a thing as a total containment body bag that is especially made that absolutely cannot leak. So you, I keep up with those types of things. But the real, the challenging technologies are the, the more scientific things, like what kind of weapons are we talking about and what kinds of people are doing what, what things on the world stage are coming home to roost here and how might we recognize a catastrophe that's related to it. All the modern things that you and I are immersed in are the same world Scarpetta's in. And I make sure that I keep up with that and I have consultants out there that are the best and the brightest that I've been fortunate to know for years. And including my friend, Dr. Fierro, who's the one who taught me all this originally. She's in her 80s now, but I still call her up and say, what would you do if you saw a big footprint near a dead body out in the woods? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I haven't been asked that one before. So I still do things the same way I always have as much as I'm able. I'm interested, as my father says, in her development, because, you know, in one of the books you write, it is disheartening when a thinking person is forced to admit that many cliches are true. There is no justice on this earth. So I'm interested, is Kay Scarpetta a cynic? Did she start out a cynic? Has she developed into a cynic? And how do you reconcile that? Because she's also clearly faithful. She's not a cynic, but she would call herself a very hardcore realist, which is, of course, what most cynics say they are. But, <laughs> but truth is, she she's seen too many cases where there's no justice and there isn't justice anyway. The person's still dead. How is that justice? Even if the killer is executed and she goes and she checks that body, pronounces that body dead and does all the stuff on it before it goes to the morgue and she does the autopsy just like she's supposed to do in her job. There's no justice. There's no justice at all. Justice would be not only that it never happened, but that there's no impulse for something like that to happen. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that she thinks that all of reality is hopeless. She also has a very strong sense of spiritual things and a more profound meanings in life and that not everything is what you see in front of you. And in fact, I came to that conclusion myself after seeing so many autopsies the six years I worked at the morgue to learn all this. And I came to the conclusion when you see somebody, a picture of someone who was just alive an hour ago and here they are dead now on the table, you know, you go whatever was there is so clearly gone that there's something we just don't understand here. Mm. What are we? Who are we? She thinks about those things, even though she has to deal with that body that's left behind. Mm. Is it freeing to have a character that you can bring back and that the readers love? Or is it a burden on you to figure out how am I going to make her different so that people will still find new traits of her character that they didn't expect before. 
dad is still convinced, by the way, that everybody's Arthur Conan Doyle and they all want to Reichenbach Falls everybody after five books that they're just like, push them off the cliff, you know? <laughs> well, I didn't push Scarpetta off a cliff, but in 2016, when the Scarpetta book Chaos came out right during that election, which the title certainly lived up to its name, I quit at that point because I thought, I don't have anything new to say. I mean, I've used about every technology under the sun here, and I don't know what else to do with her. And you know what? I'm just going to go do something else. I've had enough of doing this every single year. And so I started doing research about outer space, and I did two space thrillers that nobody had an iota of interest in. And then COVID started. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, well, I, I, what, I wonder what Scarpetta's up to these days. I mean, what a weird time we live in. And maybe she wants to go to space. <laughs> if they didn't like my character, the new character in space, I said, ah, I know. I'll send Scarpetta up in space. So I literally, the first chapter of that new Scarpetta, she was on the space station. She was the flight surgeon. She's in the sleeping bag. And of course, somebody dies, something awful happens. But then after that, it went nowhere. And she's going, you know, um, I can have worked this case from down on the ground, please. I'm not going to work it from up there. No, thank you very much. So that became autopsy where she ends up remotely working some deaths in outer space. Do you feel like, okay, I'm 150% done with my research and I know I can write? Or do you write and you go, whoop, I don't know enough about that. I got to make some phone calls. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit like, you know, the psychic sitting in front of her crystal ball when I'm starting a book. I am literally thinking, what do I see? What stops me in my tracks? And and sometimes it might be something that I see in the news, something like on the internet. And for example, with Unnatural Death, I saw a picture on Twitter of a Bigfoot footprint, an alleged one that had been taken by a surveillance camera in a park in Texas. And I looked at this thing. There's a similar looking one in the beginning of the opening of the book, so you can see it for yourself. And I just started going, what if? I mean, what would you do if you're out in the middle of the woods working, doing a body recovery, and one of the cops finds something like this? I even asked one of my homicide detective friends. I called him up, and I gave him the scenario. I said, what would you do if you saw this out in the woods? He said, I'd walk right on by and pretend I hadn't seen it. I do not want to go there. Nuh-uh. And then I asked my friend Marcella, and she said, well, I'd have to treat it like any other piece of evidence. You don't know what it is. You can't assume it's not real. And then you figure out if science can help you figure out if it's real. Do trace evidence testing and DNA testing, and um, you might be surprised what you'll find out. You've got sort of standalone one-book villains, and then you have villains that go through several books. How does that happen for you? I mean, do you fall in love with the villain too? Because a natural death has a villain that you've weaved into previous narratives. So, I mean, do you get as fascinated by your villains as you do by your heroes and you want to bring them back? No, but when you come up with really good ones, damn it, they won't go away. <laughs> it's like Isaac Newton said, for every force, there has to be an equal opposing one. And that is so true in art. You've got to have the crescendo with the prelude and the pastoral, and you've got to have the evil up against the good. You know, this, 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 that's where energy comes from. And if you don't do that, if I just start out, once upon a time, Scarpetta went to work and they all lived happily ever after. That would sell about minus two copies. <laughs> Even my family wouldn't buy that book. <laughs> Much as I've read Cornwell, I have not probably read the, the two or three previous to this one. And I'm thinking that must be a reference to a previous book. That must be something that I don't know. And I wonder if she feels an obligation 
to both satisfy a reader who's picking you up for the first time mm-hmm. and an obligation to a reader who has been with you for years. You are so on the spot with that one because that is one of the reasons why I literally will spend about the first five months on the first 50 pages mm. because not only is it creating sort of the, the algorithm that's going to drive all the plot that's going to go forward, but also it's the establishing shots, so to speak. It's how you can use sleight of hand to let people know who, what, when, why, and where that go back for decades, but you can't be didactic about it. Yeah. And so it requires a lot of fine brush strokes to do that. And most of all, People should be able to pick up your book having never read any of the other ones. And for sure that's true with Unnatural Death. If you go back to the prior two, that's only if you want to have another fun time. It's not because you have to read them. You don't need them at all to understand what's going on in this one, not in the least. William Ken Kruger talked about the fact that he was always amazed. Like he said, I'm not as good at keeping track of details as my readers are. So every once in a while, I'll get a letter going, did you forget that they had a cousin in book number four? Does that happen to you oh, sometimes? Oh, oh, it's uh, it. No. And I'll tell you why. Because literally I'm starting 28th Scarpetta. Yeah. And that's not all the books I've written. That's just the Scarpetta yeah. book. Yeah. So yeah. I have a retired NASA scientist who's a good friend of mine. And what she, one of the things she does for me, we have a database of all of the books. And so when I'm looking for certain details that I don't want to go searching through every one of the books, like what color somebody's eyes are, for example, or what somebody's middle name, or, or worse of all, their birthday, because you don't want to get it wrong 20 years later, I have my friend goes through all that stuff. That's amazing. You literally have a rocket scientist. I do. I do. Who helps you with this. <laughs> okay. Do you have an end game for Scarpetta? You know, I don't have an end game, and I've always seen it as, you know, it will sort of end with an ellipsis, you know, more to be continued, but I don't know by whom. Maybe by then it will be, I know a lot of other people continue people's books after they're long gone, and artificial intelligence, who knows what's down the road. But what I won't do, and I've always promised people this, I will not kill her off. Um, Mm. I I just won't. I, I really won't do that with any of the major characters I did it once with Benton Wesley, and as you notice, he's still around, so that didn't work very well, so I learned my lesson. You have no right to kill them off. Leave them be. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? 
I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics Podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Rapid-fire questions for Patricia Cornwell. Patricia Cornwell, do you ever go through an airport and peek to see if you're on the book stand for sale? No, I lied. (laughs) 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 What what do you do if you see someone reading a Cornwell novel? I definitely notice it. You know, it depends. There have been times on a plane or something, I might say something to somebody, but um, generally... uh, I probably just take note of it and just keep on going. Does anything gross you out anymore? Oh, a lot of things gross me out. Listen, you can ask my partner, Stacy. Uh, I am actually squeamish. I won't watch Grey's Anatomy while we're eating dinner. <laughs> the blood is real to me. Everything is real to me. I can't watch really violent stuff on TV. And I never, I did never like the morgue. I mean, you should be worried about someone who does, but I just made myself do it. And I got, I got kind of used to it after being down there every day. Instead of then having an emotional removal from the violence in some ways, it made it realer to you? It did. And that's not uncommon with the people I know who work um, in the field, like my friend Marcella, you know, she would never so much as flinch seeing the most god-awful things that you've ever imagined. Boy, did you want her on, you wanted her to be the one who did it when there was something really bad. But it would get, you would see it later. Mm. You see it in her getting really upset over something that didn't matter. You Mm. see that she had hives or something. Or Mm. we were at the theater one time and there was a, a really brutal rape scene. It was live, it was a play. And she went rushing out of the theater in the parking lot and I had to go after her. And cause she was, she said, people don't understand that this, this is not entertaining. And I've, I, I get it. Mm. So it does, it gets you in a different way. Mm. Where did the name Scarpetta come from? Well, that's just a strange, that's a funny story. When I was married to Charlie Cornwell long ago, he used to tell me funny stories of things that would happen when he was in graduate school at the university of Virginia in Charlottesville. And his landlady was someone named Scarpetta. Hmm. And he would tell me these stories about this person. But what struck me about it was the name. I said, what a great name. Is that Spanish or Italian? And then I decided, well, I'm going to make it Italian because I want Italian cooking. (laughs) And the weird thing is, I had no idea how unusual it is. You know, I hardly ever come across it anywhere. Mm. I just love the the old landladies going, oh, hey, there's a whole bestseller. (laughs) It's a good list named after me. It's right there. (laughs) Just right. (laughs) When you, so you've written a lot of books. You've written a lot of books, nonfiction, fiction, Scarpetta. When you write the words, the end, do you have a finishing ritual? Oh, uh, my finishing ritual is first, I mean, I kind of just feel this limbic relief for a couple of days, but truth be told, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do next because- (laughs) I have an empty nest syndrome really fast, I guess. I mean, I this keeps me company all the time, mm-hmm. even as I'm cussing at it and, <laughs> and wanting it to go away sometimes. But it's, you know, I, what am I going to do? And usually it's like, where am I going to go? What do I want to see? What do I want to explore for a new story? So that's mm-hmm. what I start doing. I explore. So she never leaves your head? Kay is always right there next to you? 
Not really. I don't necessarily think about it per se when I'm out there doing the research. I don't go, oh, she would say this or she would do that. I really react the way I react. And then I put her in the scenario. For example, an unnatural death. Let's just say, because in case you haven't finished the book, I won't tell you much, but there is a scene that involves some really scary critters towards the end. And I got that idea because of a research trip where I came up, ended up in a place where these things were all over and I wasn't expecting to see it. You know, it's an animal rescue place. And I didn't expect all the animals. I thought they'd all be nice because they advertised it at the petting zoo. Well, let me tell you, baby, you ain't going to be petting that crap that's in this place when you get there. And so then I got, whoa, I got, I said, I I got a great idea from that. So that's where I get my ideas. I go out there. Your guiltiest pleasure. My guiltiest pleasure, tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a guiltiest reading pleasure? I like fairy tales. Like I've been reading The Wizard of Oz in the recent memory in the last couple of months. I mean, I, I don't read the classics that you might expect me to read. I read things that, like I said, fill me full of wonder. Mm-hmm. And that could be anything. Dream car. And do you now own it? Dream car uh, is going to be a Ferrari. Um, I, I'm a big Ferrari fan. I don't necessarily need to have one at this stage of life, but if I were going to have a really super bad car, it would be the latest, greatest 12, probably 12 <laughs> cylinder Ferrari. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and best meal you ever had? Oh, I am so easy. I like steak and a baked potato fully loaded and a salad with blue cheese dressing. And that had that meal a million times and still one of the best meals I'll ever have. That's amazing. Well, the Scarpetta palette, that is very simple. I'm impressed. Listen, I got Merino taste in a Scarpetta mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Patricia Cornwell, thank you so much. The new book, A Natural Death, is a page turner, and we enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you ever so much. The fun has all been mine. Thank you. Our conversation with Patricia Cornwell, you know, what really stays with me from that conversation is what she talked about during rapid fire when we when I asked her if there's anything that grosses her out or disturbs her anymore, thinking that I would get a sort of funny flippant answer about, nope, nothing grosses me out anymore. You can do anything in front of me and it's fine. And she talked about the deep rooted trauma in herself and in other law enforcement agents that she works with and with whom she researches, who says, actually, that stuff is not easier for them. It's harder. They can't do violent TV shows. They can't do violent movies. And that really stays with me because I think sometimes people think of law officers as inured to the violence. And I think what she's saying is it really gets inside you. You know, there's something that must be in people who who do that line of work. One of the things that sticks with me. I remember some shows that ABC did inside a med school and the med students, the first time they have a cadaver in front of them to dissect, they said, we say a prayer mm-hmm. that we honor what the life that is lost and and the fact that we are there to, to preside over not only this person's death, but their their dissection. It's a, it's a very sobering thing. And I think people have great respect for that. Mm. The other thing that, that interested me that she had to say was that as she writes, she needs to keep in mind readers who are coming to their first case mm. Garbetta book mm. and readers who have sampled along the way and readers who have probably read all the 26 previous novels. 
writing a series like that, it seems to me you do, as she acknowledged, have a responsibility to all those categories of readers. So as I was reading on natural death, as I said to her, I'd read a lot of her books, but not some of the recent ones before on natural death. And I was thinking, oh, that must be in a previous book or that must be in a previous book. But it didn't divert me to the point that I wasn't understanding exactly what no, was going on. No, you never felt belabored by plot exposition, and she's very, very good at that. And it is a skill, because I have read series where I think to myself, boy, if the author was nice, they would have put a sentence in there going, if you're a loyal reader, please go right, over and skip right, to page 50. Right. She doesn't, you don't need that. It's entertaining whether or not you've read the previous or you've read none. Pick up K. Scarpetto whenever and you will be entertained anywhere in the timeline. So we're getting on toward Christmas and I have a little thing that I want to introduce to oh, the gosh. podcast okay. in the future. All right. Do you remember your senior high school English teacher, Jane Cole, yes. who you've mentioned a number of times in these podcasts. Yes. She used to have cow facts. I thought that was the most random thing. Now, I don't know that there are enough cow facts uh, to fill many lectures that she used to give. Do you remember any cow facts? I don't, but I do know that when I went to college, the first letter she sent me was on a cow card. <laughs> <laughs> a card shaped like a cow. Was... All right. So in the new year, okay, now we're not started right away, cows? but in the new year, yes. I'm going to introduce book facts. Okay. And I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to see if you can come up with a good answer. Okay. Number one, <laughs> according to the New York Times, yes. Barnes and Noble, how many books do they sell in the month of December? Take a guess. <sighs> 1.5 million. No <laughs> clue. 20 million books. Really? 20 million books they sell in the month of December. And an average week, they sell 20 times the number of books that they would sell in a normal week. God love you, Barnes & Noble folks and independent bookstores everywhere. You guys are earning your keep in December. You always do. Books are a great last-minute present. They are. And even the, the New York Times article that I saw about this said that the majority of them are bought in the last week. Because if you're stuck for something, that's what you go to. Yes, books. and easy wrapping. And it, <laughs> that's right. And it's not hard to wrap them. Exactly. <laughs> so coming to that and coming to the week before Christmas and even a few weeks before Christmas, we wanted to go back over the years of, of the year of podcasts that we have done and talk about books that we would particularly recommend out of the, we've had an embarrassment of riches, an embarrassment of riches this year in the authors who have talked to us. The list is, well, I don't want to do all of it, but um, talking to Amanda Gorman about poetry was wonderful. Uh, talking to James Comey, that James Comey, about writing a mystery, which he now has the liberty to do. Dave Barry. Who has been a hero of mine for so long. Oh, because he's so funny. Yes. John Boyne and Harlan Coben we mm -hmm. talked to. All those were terrific. J. Ryan Straddle, your friend, who's written a new book uh, that I think is wonderful. And who I always love talking to. I love talking to Beverly Horowitz, the quintessential editor of editors, and has a terrific take on the business of editing. You know, for me, some of my favorite books of the year, I loved Absolution by Alice McDermott. I loved that book. I loved The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Talk Talking to James McBride was a huge thrill for me. I loved The Eyes and the Impossible by Dave Eggers, which if you haven't, now that is a terrific Christmas gift this season for young folks in your life, middle schoolers, high schoolers, adults, everybody will love that. And I got such a kick out of meeting Kate DiCamillo. If you haven't bought a few Kate DiCamillo books and you have kids or nieces and nephews or grandkids, Kate DiCamillo is a terrific read and she's got something for almost all ages. 
pages. So definitely check her out. And we had a chance to talk to David Sedaris early in the mm. year, who writes with such wonderful, dry humor. Mm. You mentioned some of my favorite fiction books. Alice McDermott's Absolution, James McBride's uh, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. I also loved Ann Patchett's uh, Tom Lake, which I thought was really wonderful. In the nonfiction category, Timothy Egan's book, Fever in the Heartland, about uh, the KKK and all the influence in Indiana that the KKK had so many years after the state of Indiana lost 25,000 people, Mm. Union soldiers, to the Confederacy, and yet the Klan flourished in Indiana in the 1920s, and what the results of that were. Also, a really quirky book. This was, Kate and I looked at each other when we did this. Henry Grabar is the author. He wrote a book called Paved Paradise. Now, the premise of this book is that parking rules the world that parking is the genesis for so much of the development that occurs in American cities and in rural areas as well. And he makes a really interesting case for it. If you read that, you're sort of taken aback. Michael Finkel. Oh, The Art Thief. What a terrific book that is. And if you like The Art Thief, which you will, because it's really a fascinating character study of a very strange man. He also wrote a book called True Story, which is a biography of Michael Finkel's past. I would recommend that, too. Michael Finkel's very much. There are a few authors for me this year that were a revelation and that now I will read everything that they've read. John Clinch. Everything they wrote, I hope. Everything. everything if you read everything they've read, it's going to be. Yeah. So these are the writers that were revelations <laughs> to me that now I will read every new release. John Clinch, William Kent Kruger, Michael Finkel is on that list. Julio Tsuka who wrote The Swimmers that Mitchell Kaplan recommended to us. What an amazing book that is. And so spare. Julia Otsuka is a very small book. Every word is precious. She is a very talented writer. The Swimmers was yeah, that book. The Swimmers. Yeah, it's been a great year. Yeah. Kate. We've really been, we've been very blessed by all the authors that talk to us and very thankful to all the independent bookstore owners mm-hmm. and managers who talk to us because what they do, we believe, very, very very important. And you know, also too, my favorite part of the year was we got to talk to horror authors. (laughs) I was hoping you'd pass that by. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) A special thanks to Josh Mallerman, Chris Golden, Stephen Graham Jones, Jennifer McMahon, and the amazing Paul Tremblay, all of which agreed to sit down and deal with my glee and my father's skepticism. I just loved that series. Well, Kate actually got me to accept the fact that there is some merit in horror writing. And uh, and I actually read a few that I liked. So if you choose to sample in that section of the bookstore, bless your heart. Uh, anyway, we're going to have a coda from Patricia Cornwell, and Kate will remind you who's responsible for this podcast. The Bookcase is a production of ABC Audio in partnership with Good Morning America. It is produced by David Canada in conjunction with Surecam Productions. Asal Esanapur is our producer. Laura Mayer and Simone Swink are our executive producers. We give special thanks to Taylor Rhodes, Amanda McMaster, and Sarah Russell of Good Morning America, and Josh Cohan, Nania McLean, Vika Aronson, and Brenda Salinas Baker at ABC Audio. Well, my coda is an obvious one, but not really when you find out what it means. My coda is the word autopsy, which comes from the Greek word autopsia, which means to see for yourself. And that is what I leave people with. When all else fails, always remember, see something for yourself and then you'll find the answer. Thank you.